My Other Face by Robert P. Fitton. Episode 12, A Vicious Jamie Attacks the Kids. What do you think he would say if someone told him that what he had formerly seen was a meaningless illusion, but now, being somewhat nearer to reality and turned toward more real objects, he was getting a truer view? The Allegory of the Cave, the Republic, Plato, Mitchell and Sandra jumped into the DuPont station wagon with their skating equipment. Jamie was rather reticent about the whole skating affair. It was as if he were merely going through the motions. His mind seemed preoccupied with other matters, things he was pondering deeply, things that had to be done at a later date, and things that he had to restrain himself from carrying out. Marta was on the far side of the passenger seat, extremely tense and fearful of what the town was saying about her. But she had to face it, admit it, and take it from there. You've got to be strong, Marta. Like Weissman says, it can be worked out. Besides, it only happened three times. This must be temporary. After all, I'm not totally out of control. I will control it. I will control this fear of being insane and being judged insane. Just don't let them see that they're getting to you. Then you'll be all right. You'll get out of the sanitarium. Just stay calm, calm. Admit what's happened and stand firm. You're going to get better, kid, for sure. For sure this time. Mommy, I'm still hungry, said Sandy as she leaned forward into the front seat. Jamie was backing the car into the road. If you had eaten the damn food, you would not be so... Snapped Jamie, somehow trying to control his rage. Marta stared at him in disbelief. He was not one to talk to the children like that. He always played with them. He was the knight in shining armor. What your father means, Sandy, is that you should have eaten more at the same time we all ate, honey. She said, covering up for her husband's insensitivity. No. That is not what I mean at all. She should have done what she was told. No questions. He yelled back at her, his head moving in short, jerky motions. Well, I guess you know it all then, don't you, Jamie? Said Marta on the verge of tears. Daddy, said Mitchie, as Jamie spun the tires in the snow and brought the car down the road. Can we play hockey like we did at the rink back home? I don't feel like playing hockey, frowned Jamie as he looked ahead. But Daddy, we always play hockey. Come on, please, pleaded the boy. I said no, screamed Jamie as he turned and bared his teeth at the boy. He just snapped and pushed the gas pedal downward. The car was gaining speed down the narrow, poorly paved road, and he was scaring Mater out of her wits as he approached 60 miles an hour. Already drained from the previous day's experiences, Marta was pushed back against the seat as the speedometer neared 80 miles an hour. Slow this car down right now, she demanded, but he kept the pressure on, accelerating even faster. Soon they passed the farm fields, barreling over the road bumps at nearly 100 miles an hour. Jamie gripped the wheel with all his strength as an oncoming pickup truck swerved off the road and into a field. They had just narrowly escaped being killed. Fortunately, they were approaching the river road, and he recanted, taking his foot off the gas. He pumped the brakes several times and then slowly reached a normal speed by the time they reached the intersection. 
His eyes looked delirious with an inner contentment. He had just brought them to death's door and had enjoyed every second of it. Do it again, Daddy, shouted the children who thought it was all a game. But Marta knew better, and she knew her husband. Just what the hell are you trying to prove, Jamie? Just tell me why you risked all the lives back there. Just tell me. You are imagining things again, Marta. He said with a cunning smile that contorted his lips upward like a melted piece of plastic. He ran the stop sign at the corner, almost hitting a car as it neared the intersection, and the man laid on the horn, producing a Doppler effect in the distance. But Jamie was still impressed with his own ability to risk their lives. Although he proceeded at a normal speed to the skating rink, Marta awaited a change of mood at any second. She knew not what he was thinking, nor did she know what he was capable of doing. The skating rink was about a mile from the intersection and only a half mile north of McAllister's house. Jamie parked in back of dozens of cars on both sides of the road. Marta looked out at the rink. She had passed it the night before when she had run from McAllister's house. The red house was visible in the distance. It was the place where she had nearly lost her mind, and she felt as if she were letting the whole scene slip away too quickly. She felt compelled to somehow acknowledge the awful things that had taken place there. But she couldn't, not if she wanted them to start questioning her again. The children opened the car doors and Marta hesitated. She was not altogether comfortable about taking her children out of here with a man who utterly petrified her. She put on her red stocking cap and opened the door. Cold air tingled her face as she stepped out of the car. There was no stopping now. She had to go forward. The rink, which the town flooded directly from the river, was filled with a mass of people all bundled up to protect themselves from the cold. Several dogs trotted across the ice, maintaining their balance amidst the freestyle skaters. And there were hockey games at both ends. As the children walked ahead with their father, Marta took the time to watch a massive flock of starlings as they swarmed down for food on the small island near the railroad tracks above the opposite side of the rink, and she felt at home near the bonfire that somebody had built in order to keep warm. For a moment, she was almost glad she had returned to St. Argus, but Jamie called the children again as they sat on the rink's edge. It was as if he were deliberately trying to lure them away from their mother. Over here, children, hurry. In God's name, is he doing now? making things worse for me, not better. He wants to put me away, and he's going to torment me until he does it. I can't let him do that. He will not get the best of me. I want to live. She ran ahead carrying her skates, but, but the kids had already started lacing up their own skates. Marta plopped herself down beside them, kicking off her shoes, and tried to put on her skates. Jamie stood out on the ice. She was having trouble lacing her own skates. It was like a force that was not allowing her to put the laces through the loops. The children, having finished, skated onto the ice, and she got frustrated. Aren't you even going to skate? She asked Jamie as he stood on the ice in his shoes, but he didn't answer. She fought to tie her skates as the children reached him and skated toward the center of the rink. She finally laced her skates and stood. She began skating across the ice, but skated as if it were her first time in the ice. Her balance was precarious at best, and she tried to catch up with the children who were now 50 yards away. But she kept falling, and people were asking her if this was her first time skating on the ice. 
Her eyes filled with tears as her husband led the children across the rink. He might be responsible for her sloppiness on the ice. But she couldn't think like that. Those thoughts had to be diminished. That would be outlandish, not what the world deemed true. And if she tried to stand up against the world, they would throw her away in the sanitarium. Jamie was motionless now, like a mannequin in a store window, as the children played on the ice in front of him. Marta was able to cross the ice now as the pressure eased, and she moved at a very slow pace. Even though he had his back to her, he could sense her approach. He shouted something to the children and then pointed to the area in back of the island under the railroad embankment. She tried to hurry, only falling down again as they disappeared behind the tree-filled island. Having left him alone with them, it was very disquieting to her and she inched her way to the island. The children, strangely enough, were alone and racing with each other in the back area. She skated over to them as they laughed and slipped harmlessly on the ice. But where was Jamie? Are you children all right? She asked, afraid he might have done something to them. What, Mummy? Asked Mitchy as he slid across the ice. Where is your father? Daddy said he'd be right back, said Sandy. She laughed at Mitchy when he fell. You can't even stand up. What? Shouted Marta as she thought the child was talking about her. Mitchy, Mama, he can't even stand up. She laughed and pointed at her brother. Oh yeah, you can't even belly flop on the ice. Can too, she said as she skated up behind him. Marta looked all around the area and questioned the fact that Jamie had left them alone. She searched the railroad embankment and all the way to the far side of the rink. And then the island. Maybe he was on the island. It was just too thick with trees and bushes to tell. At that moment she heard a deep, cracking noise, like a crack from a towering tree that had just been felled in the forest. She turned and saw an enormous vision in the ice. It was almost zero. Cracks were impossible. At first she was not frightened, but as the ice around her began to give way, she panicked. Other cracks were forming like the stress on a mirror, which yielded under the pressure of a heavier force. In desperation, she tried to skate away, but again she could not hold her balance. And the children kept playing at the far end of the island, not noticing what was happening to their mother just yards away. Marta screamed as she was encircled by the cracks. The children looked over to their mother as the ice was tilted upward. The chilling water gushed along its edges and Marta's heart almost stopped from the shock. Mommy! Mommy! They called as they edged their way toward the breakage. Marta could feel her body sliding toward the open water. Without thinking, she rolled to her right, still sliding down. As she was about to hit the freezing water, she sprung toward the side ice, and it began to crack. She scrambled on all fours, yelling for the children to get back as she made it to the smooth portion of the ice. Mommy! They yelled as they huddled up to her, very much aware that she had nearly lost her life. Mommy, it's all right! Mommy's all right! Mommy's all right! I'm all right! said as she finally held them. Unbelievably, the chunk of ice that she had leaped from sank downward like a continental plate and moved right under the other ice, leaving an area of open water. Oh my God, she said as she put her hand to her mouth. What's the matter, Mommy? asked Mitchy. Come on, children, we're going back to the car. I don't think the ice over here is safe. Where's your father? Why are you looking for me? asked Jamie in a low-pitched voice. Marta almost leaped into the air as he stood behind them. Where were you? Did you see what happened over there? You shouldn't skate 
on the ice, Marco. You ought to know that, he said, once again evidencing a self-confident grin. Is the ice all right, Daddy? The ice is all right. But Mommy said... Your mother is imagining things again. Look for yourself, Jamie, she said, pointing to the open water. The damned ice is cracking apart. I think it is safe here, he told them. Good, Daddy, let's play hockey. Come on, you like to play hockey, said Mitchie as he gave his father a body check. More like a love tap, but Jamie seemed in no mood for horseplay. His face became vicious like when he played monster. It's the monster, Mitchie, said his sister. Shut up, yelled Jamie. I'm not playing any games. Okay, monster, laughed the boy as he checked his father once again. Jamie seemed to become unglued. He lifted up the smalling, unsuspected boy into the air by the hood of his parker. The boy's eyes bulged and his face turned red as he was being choked at the collar. I told you no damn hockey, he said. I said it then and I'm saying it now. He yelled as Marta rushed over. His eyes became red around the irises as he lifted the boy backward, and with a single thrust he hurled him high into the air. The boy tumbled over and over again, hitting the ice with a thud, sliding toward the railroad embankment. The boy was able to sit up, but he was crying uncontrollably. You son of a bitch! yelled Marta as she swung at Jamie, but he blocked every blow and smiled contentedly. You bully! You bully! She continued, taking her daughter in her arms as she hurried over to Mitchie. She picked up the bloody boy in her arms. I just wanted to play. He choked me. He choked me. It's all right, Mitchie. It's all right. Daddy was upset. He didn't mean it. He didn't mean it, she kept telling him. She knew, however, that Daddy did mean it and that something was dreadfully wrong with Daddy. She took the tissues from her pocket and wiped the boy's bloody forehead and nose. Keep your head back, Mitchie told him. As she applied the tissue and she turned and saw Jamie disappear around the far side of the island. She looked back to her son and cleaned the blood out of his tiny nose. Mitchie winced as she wiped the blood off his forehead. What's the matter with Daddy? asked Sandy. Daddy was upset. He's sorry. He didn't mean it. She repeated her official line. Everything will be all right now. We're going back to the other side. He won't hurt me again, will he? asked the frightened boy as she cleaned the last traces of blood away. No, he won't hurt you again. Won't hurt him again. That's a good one, Marta. He's the one that's crazy, not me. He'd do it again. But who do I tell about this? Who would listen to me about anything now? Who? Who? Why, Bernie. Yes, Bernardo. I have to get Bernardo down here. Well, can we go now? asked Mitchie. Yes, we're going, we're going, she said as she helped him to his feet. That's the boy. Are you all right? Yes, yep, I'm all right. Where are we going, Mommy? asked Sandy, grabbing her mother's hand. Back to Grandma and Grandpa's house? asked Mitchie. No, we're going to try and get over to Uncle Bernie's place. She led them across the ice, turning briefly to the freezing gray water in the distance. The cracking of the ice had been Jamie's doing. She was sure of it. That had to be forgotten for the time being. Getting to the phone was the first priority. But she could see the public telephones up the road embankment and back of the bonfire. To her consternation, she saw the station wagon pulling away from the rink. Once again, it was traveling at an unusually rapid speed. 
In another sense, she was relieved because now Jamie was gone, and she was again baffled. In the past, he had never so much as laid a hand on either of the children, never spanking them and barely even reprimanding them. He had always left the discipline to her. After all, he was the knight in shining armor. Marta walked up the embankment with her skates on. The children took off their skates as she called Weissman's apartment. She was cognizant now of how Weissman viewed her sanity. The facts she had related to him about her flashes were now in total disarray. But she did remember that Weissman was also the brunt of an attack by Jamie earlier this morning. Above all, she knew he cared. Weissman was at that very moment holding a glass of bourbon in front of his eyes. The return of Jamie Pendleton had provided him with yet another excuse to soothe his wounded mind. He swished the liquid around and debated whether to take the drink. It was only the ringing of the telephone that led him to consume the liquor in a single gulp. He wiped his lips and rushed to the front to answer the telephone. Hello? Bernie, you've got to come out here right now. You have to. I'm at the skating rink. You have to come out here now, she pleaded. Why? What's the matter? Now I... Bernie, it's Jamie. He almost killed Mitchie, and he left us out here. What? Cried Weissman. He choked my son. He choked him, she said very quickly, and then threw him across the ice. Jamie did that? Yes. Just come down here, please, she yelled. I saw the same red circle around his eyes. He said as he hung up, Weissman knew that she needed him out there and her husband had maliciously left her again. Now he had done more damage. Weissman grabbed his coat and sprinted down the stairs to his car. Less than five minutes later, he was nearing the skating rink and saw them all waiting in front of the telephone. Is he still out here? Asked Weissman as he got out of the car. He was not entirely satisfied with his judgment, though. When he saw the cut on the boy's head, he became angry. No, I told you, Bernie, he's long gone now, she said as she turned to the children. Sandy and Mitchie, get in Uncle Bernie's car, we'll be right in. Once they were inside the car, Weissman held her arms and looked into her brown eyes as he questioned her. You're telling me that Jamie tried to choke his own son and then, well, you could see from the scratches on the boy's forehead. What do you think, Bernie? You think I'm making this up too? She asked. Didn't you see the inner fury inside him this morning? Threw you across the room? What about that red circle? What I saw in the upper bedroom. I saw it again this morning, but I didn't want to admit it. I saw it again this afternoon. That's impossible, began Weissman. I don't know. Are you saying he's possessed with something? You know, I think that stuff is all kind of crazy. I don't know what the hell's going on here or why he drove down the road there at 100 miles an hour. Ask the kids. There's something inside of that man, something making him do all these things. I know. It's not acting like the Jamie Pendleton I know. This morning at the Northern Point. Oh, never mind. I don't want to start speculating. No, tell me. When he left the restaurant this morning with Hastings, I was about to leave and I could swear I saw a chair move and block my path. I could have been imagining it because I was so upset. Yes, yes, she thought about the ice cracks. I wasn't going to mention this because if I don't act normal, they'll put me away. You don't want to mention what? The ice, she said as she pointed to the far side of the wooded island. Jamie left us before he threw Mitchie. 
I was alone in the middle of the ice. It started cracking all around me. Nowhere else but around me. In this weather? Are you kidding me? There must be a foot of ice under there. See? It cracked in that slab. And the slab I was on was moved upward by some kind of force. And I fell toward the water. I just rolled off just in time. And he made me fall down continuously. I want to see that ice, he told her. Go ahead. Stay in the car with them and I'll tell you another thing that's been bothering me. Where the hell was Jamie all this time? Was he really where he said he was? I think he's full of it. Maybe he is. I just want to be out of here, Bernie. Out of St. Argus, she said loudly. I know now that my feelings about this place were 100% correct. I don't know how they were, but they were. And I know what I've seen here, Bernie. It's all true. I'm sure of it. And I'll never admit that to anyone but you. He nodded his head as if to pacify her. I'll be right back. Just stay in the car and lock it right now, he said as he ran along the embankment and over to the ice and across the path on the islands and moved through the thickets and over the tiny inlets. When he arrived on the far side of the island, he could see the cracks in the open water. At least Marta didn't imagine that, he thought, as he looked outward. Almost at that very moment, the ice around the open water started to crack apart in tiny pieces. He was mystified at the seemingly impossible, but he knew he must talk to the man in charge of the rink. As he turned across the island again, he could see tiny pockets of ice on the island were shattering like glass. He hurried along the path as the wind picked up, gusting strongly and breaking the brittle little tree branches into the ground. It was almost as if they were destined for him. Was he starting to see and hear things like Marta? On the other side of the island, toward the street, everything was calm. Weissman shuffled his way across the ice and found the man in charge. The guy couldn't believe him and laughed. Weissman finally talked him into checking out the far side of the island. Then he returned to the car. Weissman got inside and Marta looked up with tearful eyes. Well, yeah, I saw it, he said as he started the car. I think we should go right back to the apartment. Thank you, Bertie, thank you she said as she held onto his wrist. I don't know what I'd do without you here. She let go of his wrist, but held his hand once he finished shifting the car. For the first time in 10 years, she felt secure. He gave her that security because he cared deeply about her. Jamie only cared about himself. With Weissman, she could sense the same feeling she had for Jamie years ago, before all the changes. A simple and unabashed feeling of comfort. More than ever, she wanted to leave St. Argus the idea of Weissman taking her away was becoming more and more attractive. She was afraid to ask him. He might not really feel the same way. They sat around Weissman's blazing fire. It was past 11 o'clock in the evening, and Marta had plenty of time to calm down. She had just finished talking on the telephone and set it down as she turned to Weissman. My mother said he hasn't come back. Cars right in the driveway, but Jamie's not around. Strange, I would say, very strange. It sounded like she was coming over here. She is, but she'll bring me back. I'll get the suitcases and come back. I don't want to be anywhere near Jamie. Well, the children can sleep in the bedroom with you, of course, and I can sleep out here on the sofa. Good, good. I feel so much safer here. I can't say I know what's wrong with Jamie, but I've decided something. Yeah, what's that? Tomorrow. I'm 
going over to the clinic. If I really am crazy, I'll take the necessary steps to correct what's wrong with me. I'm determined to straighten myself out, Bernie. I can't stand this not knowing. And I've been taking it on the chin too long. I know you have, he said as he sat down beside her and held her hand. He squeezed it gently and she returned the gesture. I'll be right here. I won't leave, don't worry, she said as she picked up her coat. Children who had been playing in the bedroom came running into the front room. They were giggling and unaware of the cataclysmic events going on around them. Can we watch TV now, Mommy? asked Sandy. I should say not. You two have stayed up way past your bedtime. But Mom, insisted her son. No buts, it's bedtime. Come on, let's get in the bedroom. She said as she nudged them ahead and they reluctantly followed her instructions as they always did. Weissman's heart pounded like a colossal bass drum. He was beginning to have an inkling that she might feel the same way about him. His loneliness would be over. He might be able to have her after all these years. It was exhilarating. A victory of sorts. A victory he was unprepared for and a victory that was not yet his. A few minutes later, Mrs. DuPont pulled up to the apartment. Children were already tucked in bed and Mater arose when she saw the station wagon lights. Understandably, she couldn't help but remember what she had seen two nights before. She hugged Weissman tightly and he brought her down to the door, where she hugged him again. In an instant, she was gone down the stairs. He went back to the front room and saw her get inside the station wagon. Once again, Bernie Weissman was alone. Join us next time for My Other Face by Robert P. Fitton. Produced by Fitton Theatre of the Words.